Hello and welcome to the No Man's Land podcast. My name is Nathan Hoover and I'm here with my co-host Elmer Fisher. First of all, we want to just take a moment to thank you so much for all the support on the previous episode. This podcast is currently available on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, and Pocket Cast. We're working to try to get it onto Apple Podcasts for those of you that prefer to listen on that platform and we appreciate your patience. Today we dive in and talk about some of Mr. Fisher's experiences going through kind of a blind boot camp and what the process was for him to learn how to use all these tools that are so essential to be able to function in a modern day society while being blind. We hope you enjoy, and if you enjoy the video, don't forget to leave a like and give us a comment. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's jump into it. Okay, so you talked about working at a, a candy factory. Do you want to real quick kind of go over again what your, your job was at that, that candy factory? Well, that was with Kroger. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, they had a big <clears throat> food processing plant in Cincinnati. They had the second largest candy plant in the country next to Brock, I think. My my job was to write the specifications for all the candy products that we made. Okay. Um, and that was interesting because <clears throat> the, the, the package has to do a lot of things. It has to protect the product, not only physically, but also from from the environment, mm -hmm. being humidity and gas, so forth like that. And so, but you couldn't, you had to design a package also that would, that the, the consumer would buy. So it's quite a, I enjoyed the job, it was very challenging to come up with something, a package that satisfied all the criteria that we needed. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, I did that for several years. Okay. Uh, so uh, how old were you when you were working you know, there? I think it was a, I think it was in 1960, but I'm not positive. Okay. And I, my brain was big crash, so I, <clears throat> all my history that I had noticed gone too. So I'm trying to go by memory. Uh, okay. In fact, I, I'm gonna keep working with my my brain and speak to see if I can get some if I can get the data back ahead in the in, in the bail and speak. I can answer these questions a lot better. Could you maybe explain for people who don't know what a what a braille to speak is or what that does? Uh. Well, it's basically a braille, a braille, but when you, when you write in braille, there are basically six keys and our seven, including the space bar. And all of your letters are combinations. Like letter A is just key number one. Letter B is key one and two. C is one and three. D is one, three, four. So, so when you want to type something in braille, you have to know what, what dots do each each key is one of the dots in the braille. If you look at braille, you see these dot, dot figures. Uh, so when you when you <clears throat> when you put the information in, you put it in in braille. The best example I would be would be a typewriter. Okay. You you would type something in, but you you use type instead of braille. And if you want to read it, you go back and read over what you type. Mm -hmm. The braille speak you trail it in. If you want to if you want to hear what you said, you can go back and listen to it. So it's like it's like using a typewriter, but instead of keys, you're using Braille symbols. What braille, other? Well, how uh, old were you when you learned to to use Braille? <clears throat> I was pretty old. I was in my thirties, I guess. Was it difficult to learn how to do, or how long did it take you to kind of figure it out? I wouldn't call it difficult because I was I was anxious to learn it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was being cut out from so much so many activities because I couldn't get the information. So switching to Braille, switching to Braille was really not that hard. 
In fact, it was a blessing for me because I, if I didn't have that, I didn't, I didn't have any way to communicate. Uh, I couldn't really type very well. Uh, I could type, but I couldn't read it back. So, so by using using my braille input and output, I could run, I could manage my affairs. And so that's you know it calls called a braille and speak. You you braille in the information when you receive it, 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 it recites it back to you. That's where the braille and speak comes from. Okay. I I have a question for you. Um, there's this is kind of a new in, invention. I want to ask your opinion on it, and it's designed to help people who are either completely blind or uh, have vision impairments. And so it's an app you have on your phone called Be My Eyes. And basically, what you yeah. do is you download the app to your phone, and it connects a blind person through the video or camera on your phone to someone who can see. And then that person with vision can help the person who's blind. So, for example, let's say you have some milk and you don't know if it's expired. You could use that app on your phone and it connects you with someone with vision and you could show them the uh, like where the expiration date would be on the milk and they could let you know if that milk was safe to use. Well, it sounds like a good idea. On the other hand, you've got so many of these things you have to remember. It's hard It's hard to use all these different alternatives. Uh, I, in fact... It's kind of uh, interesting because what you just talked about, I just heard about from my, my, my reader came in when she was talking about the same thing. So you, you can point something, point your camera or your phone at something and it tells you what it is. Is that is that basically what we're talking about? So basically it's like a phone call between someone who can see and someone who can't or has trouble seeing. And with you point your camera and then the vision person can see through your camera and they're able to help you with, I don't know, finding, you know, your wallet, like you dropped it on the floor, that you don't know where it is. You could point the camera around and that vision, the person with vision could help guide you to it. So it's just a tool to, uh, and it's completely free. It's like a volunteer thing for the people with sight. And it's designed to help people who uh, are blind or have trouble seeing. I don't think I need it right now, but if I didn't have Sandy or somebody to look for me, it, it, it's like that. Uh, I mean, I... I would have alternatives I would rather use than try to f search around with a, with a camera or with my phone. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, these things get to be so complicated, Nate, that after a while, I'm more confused than I'm helped. I try to keep track of my things. That's one of the things I said I have trouble with, keeping, keeping thoughts in my mind because my, my mind is full of information. When I, when I lay something down, I have to remember where I put it. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to be consistent, but when I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, don't put my shoes in the same place every day. In the morning, I can't find them. They might be six inches from where I had it before, and by, by, by golly, I can't find it. Mm -hmm. So it's keeping all this information in your mind fills it up with trivia, really, and it makes it hard to, makes it hard to concentrate on everything. But that's that's just the nature of the beast. Did you ever well, live uh, alone? when you couldn't see, like when you had trouble seeing, were you ever living alone with that yeah. problem? Yeah, when I met Sandy, mm -hmm. I was living alone. Several years, <clears throat> I lived in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. but to keep the job that I had, <clears throat> they moved the job to Columbus. So I stayed living in Cincinnati and had an apartment here in Columbus. Service room called Door to Door. You called them, they would pick me up at my house in Cincinnati bring me up to Columbus and drop me off whatever address I wanted to, wanted to be dropped off at. And that, that, that's how I was able to stay in Cincinnati and work in Columbus. But 
I had a, during that time, during the week, I stayed in an apartment by myself up here in Columbus, which was about a mile from where I worked. So mm -hmm. I would commute back and forth to Columbus weekly and stay in an apartment up here by myself. Of course, uh, I worked with other people and I had some friends and uh, you know, I didn't stay alone all the time. I got, got to go out with, with friends, co-workers and things like that. But I was on my own pretty much. If you, you know, if there's anyone who's listening to this maybe who is blind or is going blind, uh, you know, obviously you've been through that. Is there any advice or anything you'd want to share with someone that you think could help them if they're kind of going through some of these similar <clears throat> oh, struggles? Boy, Nate, that's a good question. Well, no, I guess the only thing I could say is you take it as it comes. I mean, keep trying and on your own. When an obstacle is, you have to f find a way to go get around it. It's it's a it's a very intense, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of energy. Uh, you go until you can go any more, then you then you stop and try to figure out how to do it again. And after a while, you you, know, you develop some techniques, but it's not easy. It's always trying to catch up with the world. That's the best way I can say it. I never seen. I was always behind. So looking back, is there anything you could kind of laugh about during that learning process that at the time might have been kind of like annoying or confusing, but now you, you can laugh about? The turning, the turning point for me was when I, the state sent me to Pittsburgh, to the Pittsburgh Guild for the Blind. I was there I think, about four months for complete re rehab, techniques of daily living. They taught me uh, the Pittsburgh Guild for the Blind really gave me the tools that I needed to... Uh, function as a blind person uh, and there were there I, I was there in the summer the summer months so there were a lot of young people with me college age and even high school age being, being so-called rehabilitated functionally uh, mm -hmm. but I stayed at I stayed in a place alone I stayed with some friends for a while and I had an apartment but I left pretty much on my own and when I was in Pittsburgh for the week, I was pretty much on my own, except for some friends that I made. Uh, and that was not uneasy to do, but I, I didn't seem to have a choice. I mean, it, was, it was either that or either that or not have any income. It was quite a long period of time. Uh, so I kind of want to learn a little bit more about your, uh, your time at this, uh, what was it, Pittsburgh Re Rehabilitation for the Blind kind of clinic. Uh, what kind of process or tools or exercises that they have you do or use to try to help Im improve your uh, situation? It was kind of interesting. Uh, it was a great place. Uh, I had a roommate, another guy, and they put the two of us in the room and uh, nobody came. And uh, finally, I went down the hall and uh, I guess the rationale was they, they let us, they put us in the room and let us sit. And uh, until one of us or two, so I had the initiative to find out what's going on. I just got tested. I didn't know what was going on. I was, I was waiting, just sitting. And I went down and, and they said, congratulations. I said, why? You finally, did, you finally did something for yourself. You just didn't sit there and wait. You sat waited a long time, but finally you decided you had to do something. And that's kind of the, the, the gist of what they were trying to do was to develop 
develop independence for us individually. So mm -hmm. when we wanted to do something, we get alternatives. We didn't have to sit and wait. There are some people, as I call, <clears throat> they never did get out of the room. They just sat there and sat there and sat there. But drove me, my roommate and I, uh, he was a pretty neat guy. We both talked a lot about it. We, we said, we're not going to sit here all day. So we went out and then we went out on our own and and they came and got us and really congratulated us for, for taking it upon ourselves to get out of the room and try to do something on our own. Uh, so that it was a very intensive uh, training called Techniques to Daily Living. And I did everything from out of the blade, bathe, the shower, the cook, uh, the, you know, all all the routines that you would have to live, you have to know to live by yourself. Uh, and they taught us all that individually. Of course, Tom, my roommate, and I were both married. <clears throat> we didn't care too much for the <laughs> cooking stuff, but we had to do it anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. I met his wife. He was from Pittsburgh, so I met his family and his wife. And uh, they came this. Cincinnati once and met my wife at the time. And I know the wives talked a lot about, talked to each other a lot about what was going on with their husbands. Uh, I guess it's a, it's a blessing in disguise because when you get some training, you know, you, you, I would say maybe I, I became a different person. Uh, I was more independent than I had been for years. So, I mean, I changed my lifestyle, my routine. Well, that affected my wife at the time. She was used to me being a certain way, and I was. It changed me a lot. Mm -hmm. And and they, they that's what they said. You know, you, you got to be careful. You're not when you leave here. You're not going to be the same person that you were when you came here. And, there, and that was true. So, but then not being the same person, then you had to go back home. And, and a, a different person was coming back home, and went went to Pittsburgh. I was different when I came back and when I went over to Pittsburgh originally. And I, I wasn't going to tolerate any more dependency. I was going to be independent. And uh, that changed the relationship between me and my wife at the time. And when one person changed that much, it puts pressure on the marriage. So we had a struggle because I was not the same person I, I was when I came back from Pittsburgh I was when I went over. I was a lot more independent, a lot more determined, and a lot more skills than I never had before. Uh, it was quite a place. Uh, I don't know if it's still still going on, but uh, they really did a great job. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to, to hear that there are places where you can go to kind of learn how to adapt <laughs> and uh, be independent on your own, because I'm sure that's something that's really frustrating. It, it's funny that you kind of mentioned the part where they had you wait in a room until you uh, basically took the initiative to go ask for help because I had, ironically, a very similar thing happen to myself where I was at a camp and they blindfolded us. So yeah. we were all effectively <laughs> blind as well. And they put yeah. us in, and so I didn't, they were leading us somewhere. I couldn't see it. But basically what they did is they just put us in a in a box with a bunch of string or like a box that was constructed out of string. Like uh -huh. there was just a square you went in. And they said, okay, you're just, you're in a maze. They told us we were in a maze and that we were going to feel it around and to get out and that if we needed help we could ask but and so i you know but effectively we were just in a box there was no way actually out of the maze and the way you 
were to beat it or uh, to get out was to ask for help. So uh, yeah, I think that is uh, like kind of interesting that that place had you do the the same thing. And I think though that is like an important <laughs> thing for maybe people who weren't who are used to uh, not being able to have that independence. When you go on mobility, you know, you got a, I call them a mobility instructor. That's how to go out on the sidewalk, walk down the sidewalk, cross the street, go with the traffic, and uh, and uh, they would let you go unless you're going to hurt yourself, and they stop you. One time I stepped down off the off the curb, and I couldn't move my feet, and I was standing in fresh tar. Oh no! Yeah. I asked, why didn't you tell me? I asked the instructor, he said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you feel it with your cane? Uh, so you could feel it with it. But when I put my cane down, I could feel there was something there. But I, I assumed when I got to the curb that I could just step down the gutter. So from then on, you always know when you step off, you better check where you're, step, check where you're stepping before you make the step. Uh, 99 times out of 100, come off a curve you'll be right on the gutter like you usually are but there are times when you'll step down on something different maybe a sewer lid something like that mm -hmm. so you can't take much for granted always have to be very much aware of the environment and and the feedback that you're getting it takes a lot of concentration uh, you can't really just walk and be free-spirited you always have to be concentrated where you are uh, there are two things there's mobility and there's orientation. They're two, two different things. Mobility is being able to move your feet and walk. You know where you want to go and how to get there. That's orientation. You can be the best mobility person in the world who would walk fine, but, but if you don't have any orientation, you can't orient yourself to the environment. The mobility does you very little good. You've got to have both. On the other hand, if you know your environment, but you're afraid to move, you, you're also such so it's mobility plus <clears throat> plus orientation most people when they think about it don't think about that orientation part of it. they think about no not walking the poles walking off the sidewalk that's that's the mobility that's to protect yourself when you're moving but the harder part is where am i and where am i going if i want to go to point a to point b how do i get there that i have to know in my head uh, now you do get you learn to take certain cues like traffic, uh, when you're walking a certain direction, you learn to park them while walking on long, long, and the cars are passing me on my left. <clears throat> well, you learn after a while, keep yourself parallel with those cars because they're going down the street. So if you keep parallel, you know, you'll pretty much stay on the sidewalk. Uh, uh, that's true 99% of the time. But then there's one time that isn't when there's something in the sidewalk. Or one of the, one of the first persons I had, they didn't have any sidewalk is all right. We went right into the street with hardly any curb. And so if you, know, if you weren't very much aware of what you were doing, you could just walk right out in the middle of the street and not even know it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all these little, these little nuances that, that you have to adjust to. But after a while, you get to it, and it, I can't say it becomes second nature, but it becomes part of your, becomes part of your your, your your whole personality, your whole being. Functioning with a cane, it's a lot different. Uh, I got to get more. I got to get information from my ears and the cane, not my eyes. Uh, 
and that that's a big that's a big difference. But if you if you're used to seeing and relying on your vision, as I was, it's pretty hard not to. In fact, they they blindfolded us. I say, why would they blindfold a blind person? Well, God, most blind people aren't totally blind, so they don't want you using of your partial vision and maybe screwing you up more than it's helping you. So whenever I went out on mobility across the street, when I first went on the street, they put this blindfold on me. I couldn't see anything. They said, okay, I'll walk, walk down the sidewalk. I said, what do you mean? I can't tell. Listen to the traffic, parallel the traffic. Uh, just walk straight, use your cane. The cane will keep you from walking into things if, if you use it right. It'll also tell you when you come to a curb, curb if you know it. If you know it. So all this you had to, you had to kind of unlearn your old methods of, of, of mobility and learn new ones. Uh, and all I could do is, they used to take me out every day for two hours, walk me up and down the streets of Pittsburgh. Uh, it was pretty pretty demanding, but I learned an awful lot. I mean, the Pittsburgh Guilford Giant line really changed me considerably. Uh, there wasn't any place in Ohio that I could go to that was comparable to I guess uh, the state of Ohio sent me there, so I guess they knew what they were doing. If someone who can see sees someone who has may appear blind and may be lost or confused, how should they go about trying to help that person? Because I've def I've heard people say, you know, it's very startling if someone, you know, maybe they're just trying to help you and like like you know tap you on the shoulder, but that could be very startling to you know someone. So how would you maybe instruct or? encourage people to help uh, approach someone to help them if it looks like they might be having trouble. Well, you say, uh, excuse me, but I, I was watching you. Do you need any help? Mm -hmm. do, you have, do you have any problem? I can help you if you want. I mean, are you okay? Are you, okay? you know, do you need any help? Uh, if so, what do you need? Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you know, this, make, it has to be sort of a matter of fact. Like, oh, here you are and I'm walking. Uh, sir, do you need any help? Can I help you a little bit there? It depends a lot on the attitude and the approach of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that really gets ticks you off is when somebody runs up behind you and grabs your shoulders, says, here, let me help you. And then starts pushing me. You know, it's, let me help you. And they're pushing me down the street. Maybe I went across the street, but they, you know, there are people that everybody's a little bit different. They, mm -hmm. I would say this, and also they all mean well. It's just that some people are more sensitive in how they go about it. Uh, I think a rule of thumb is let the person who is blind be in charge by asking and, mm -hmm. and, and don't assume that they need help or they need to do this or they need to do that. Let them tell you what they need because that, 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 that's, that makes more sense. But most, you know, you've got to be fair. Most people who have sight aren't around blind people. They don't know. You know, they have... They all have their ideas what it's like to be blind. And then they all have their perception of what a blind person is. And some of them might be right, but we're all individuals. One blind person would be different than another one. Uh, uh, like if you had a blind person who didn't go out on the street much, was a homebody, it was really terrifying to go out and walk down the street with a cane. But on the other hand, if you were somebody who was always busy and active and out, it was sit at home in the room and just sit there and wait. So 
You know, he had the opposite ends of the spectrum there, two different kind of personalities. Mm-hmm. And that's to all be taken into account by the rehab facility where you are, what your personality is, what your skills are, what other skills do you need, and then they try to teach you. So uh, that was very exhausting. I mean, go out, on, go out on the street for two or three, four hours at a time, just walking up and down a sidewalk, trying to figure out where you are. Uh, they, uh, at first, I remember they, they, they took me to a place where we had to walk like two or three blocks. And they walked right with me, told me what to do. There's a curve, blah, blah, blah. Did that three or four times. Then they said, well, we're, then they, they, they took me out there and they let me, they let me alone. They just let me stand there. They said, okay, find your way. And they were gone. Well, they really weren't gone. <laughs> I mean, they were, they had, had me in sight, but I, I was like, I'm on my own now. What am I supposed to do? You have to start using your other skills. In other words, what you used to use for vision, you don't use anymore. You have to substitute the other senses, mostly sound. And oh, there's a there's a, there's a lot of things you 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 become aware of. Like I could, I can do this today. I can walk down the street and walk under a tree limb and not not even touch the tree, tree limb and know there's a limb, know there's one up there. And because and the, I don't know how to explain it to you. There's a difference in the sound. Um, Almost feels like someone's like I come up to a building. All of a sudden, the sound changes. I'm not to the building yet, but I feel like I'm close to something. Well, that's because the sound environment's changing, mm-hmm. and, you, and, and and as you walk more, you're you're going from one sound environment to another. Uh, and sometimes that can be that can be helpful. Sometimes it can be very threatening when you don't expect it. Uh, I, I still. Like when I come in, where the Sandy come in the room or in the, or in the building, I, uh, I, I, I know when we're close to the door, not because I can see it, but because I can just feel, I, I can feel the buildings there. You just know there's something there, you know. Uh, did you ever have an experience where somebody walked up beside you, you knew there was somebody there, but you didn't see him? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it's like. I just know something's going on, but I don't know what it is. Uh, so you have to get used to living like that and trusting the information. You know, that's that's another thing that's hard to do when you're used to seeing stuff as much as you could see. Although it's severely, I was amazed how much I, I was amazed how much I, I didn't see anymore. How much I was relying on the little vision I had, but that's that's another that's another dimension. You become very efficient and knowing what to use and how you use it. Uh, like when we can walk up to the building here, I walk with Sandy. I can tell we're getting close to the building, not because I can see it or anything. I can just feel the building getting closer. And I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, like a pressure. Like you know something's there, but you're not even close to touching it. I guess it, it changes the sound environment to the point where you're, your body picks up on the difference, but it can't identify, cannot identify it. Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, obviously there are things in place to help people who are blind. Like for example, I, I, I noticed this when 
you like are coming when the curb kind of like flattens out into the street there's a lot of times the bumps or rivets for you yeah. to feel with your cane uh right. so what tools would you say are the most helpful that that are in place to help blind people and then what things would you maybe want to see implemented more or have i don't know like the government or society do to help people i never thought about it because i take it as it comes you know uh find out the world isn't going to change for you that's for sure uh, I guess the approach is get, get used to living in the world the way it is because the world's not going to change that much you know you have to you have to learn you learn eventually that there are different cues different sounds different <coughs> feelings that you you, you get you, you you're receiving information that's a lot different than you did before. I know that all that information was there before, but you're never paying attention to it because you could see. Now you can't see, and all of a sudden these sounds all, all at first are very confusing until you learn how to say, well, that that sound means this and that thing means that. And it helps me, that helps me right away with orientation. It helps me with mobility. But you have to know how to pay attention to it and not let it make, make it throw you. At first it throws you because you're used to looking at something and seeing it. Now you're not, you're waiting to feel the, you can feel the pressure, there's something there. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever come up in front of you or, or well, I guess not. If you close your eyes and you, somebody put their hand up in front of your face, not touch you, you'll be able to tell there's something there. You know, I think try. to an extent, I can kind of understand what you're talking about, just even because like, when, you know, I, I remember going, I think it was to Chicago, which is very different from where I live. You know, that's a big city. And, like, I, I could tell, like, you know, just from, like, the, maybe, like, the shade, for example. Like, if I'm walking towards a building and then all of a sudden it's yeah. colder, right? I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's something I, you know, I don't really think twice about because I can see. But that's a tool right. that's instrumental for you to kind oh, of yeah. navigate I, where you are. Yeah, I would look for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be... That would be what they call landmarks. Well, you got to be careful because landmarks change. Like it was, the angle of the sun is going to be different from one part of the day to another. So, I mean, all this is variable, but you, you still receive a lot of informational input through your ears and from this, aware, I guess, called a, an awareness. I can't explain it any other way. You just know you're, you just, you just know you're coming up against something. Uh, like I can walk up and I know I'm going to hit a pole before, not every time, but there are times I know there's something in my way. I don't know why. It just feels different. And I'll look at this because it would just be a pole. I sw swing around with my can, yeah, I'm sure there's something there. But, but I, I felt it. I felt it before I, before I actually touched it. I could feel there was something there uh, in the environment. It changed, it changed the environment some way that your body I guess subconsciously, you have to pay attention to it because it's different than you were before. You pay attention to different things. I mean, before the same sounds were same there, same feelings were there when you walk up to a building. You know, you could tell you were close, and you could, if you paid attention to it, you know, you could feel the building, but you never paid any attention to it before. Now you mm -hmm. start to pay attention to all that stuff, and it's surprising how much is there that you never. It was always there, but you didn't recognize before, didn't notice it. So I, I'm, this is, I, I find this really interesting. So I guess what I kind of, let's hear, you know, Elmer Fisher's guide to 
navigation uh, as someone who's blind? What are like what walk me through the steps or the things you're looking for if let's say you're alone and you're trying to navigate your way through a city? What what do you look for? What are your steps? <laughs> well, I usually have to if I want to go from point A to point B in a new city, I would try to do it with, with a sighted guide first. And as we went, I would try to pay attention what what I was experiencing, so I could I could duplicate the experience without without seeing it, or like I'm walking down the street and, it, and I'm parallel in the traffic, and all of a sudden I can tell there's a traffic crossing. I mean, I'm coming to an, I'm coming to an intersection because I see I hear cars, I notice cars next to me and cars in front of me. Now. Mm-hmm. When I could see, I never paid any attention to that, but all the sound pattern changes. And so sound, sound is helpful for what, what I call orientation. Know where the sound's coming from, where it is relative to you. That's different than mobility, which means if I go from point A to point B, I know how to get there, I know where I am, but I can't, I'm gonna walk and stuff along the way. Or I have to look, like I have to look for a fire plug, or I have to look for a cave. I look for, look for landmarks with my cane at that point. So it's kind of sign like uh, trying to combine that informational input, both all that you're hearing and what you're, all I can say it's like all I'm feeling, I guess, I don't know if you want to try this, uh, sit in a chair, you know, so I take a book, mm-hmm. stand behind you and keep your eyes closed. And they put the book like, like the left, left next, next to your right ear, and just keep keep moving it in closer to your head, and all of a sudden you'll notice something before it touches you, or they'll put it in front of your face, start pulling it in, and you you won't feel anything. All of a sudden you'll know there's you'll know that something's there, but you can't see it or feel it. You just know. Uh, Roughly how you know far? Sorry to kind of interrupt. All depends how good you are. Not very far, inches. Maybe. Inches, okay. Maybe. Depending how, uh, well, how your body adjusts to it. And you find out there's a lot of information coming to me now that I, I had before when I could see, but I never paid any attention to it. You know, uh, I, I, live, I live by sound mostly now. <clears throat> and one time from the problems I'm having, Nate, mm-hmm. as I grow older, my hearing is not as good as it used to be. I mean, that's just a matter of aging. So uh, in some ways, it's more difficult for me because I don't, I don't hear as well as I did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I, can, I know that. In fact, I have ear hearing aids now. No, I'm deaf and blind. So I'm, I, I still rely a lot on my ears, but my ears aren't what they used to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm struggling with how to make that adjustment. Because what I was information I was getting before, it might have been there, but I wasn't aware of it. Or it was so subtle that I couldn't pay any attention to it. Uh, so, but that's part of the adjusting to the to the loss. Uh, but I've done it so now, long now that when I go into a new environment, I mean, it's no easier, but I kind of know what to expect now. 
mm-hmm. to some extent. Well, I'm going to say it makes it easy because I know what they expect. Sometimes I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to experience that a fear of losing a place or being in an environment where there's a lot of noise and or having people running around bumping into me and not knowing what I'm doing. Uh, sometimes I just don't want to do it. But the other alternative is to, is to crawl into a shell, you know. So, and uh, you think any, anything to, to the extreme, <laughs> and there's a point if you're going to do something and you don't want to do it, you know, I'd be smart if you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like it being on a new busy street, traffic flying each way. I want to go down, the, I need to go down the street. Well, I'm not going to go down because I don't know this, I don't know the area. There's all kinds of traffic. The traffic is so noisy that I can't tell which way the cars are going, you know. Uh, do I go ahead and go anyway? Or do I, uh, if I want to well, lead the same route at 12 midnight, be entirely different going down that street because the sounds would be all different. Uh, so how much, you know, how, how much you, how much you're willing to risk? Well, it depends on how, how bad you want to go. Yeah, that's a, a question I kind of wanted to ask you was, you know, obviously sounds very important, but is it sometimes like there's too much sound? Like what's kind of, I guess, the perfect medium for navigating? Because obviously if things are too loud and chaotic, it could be probably pretty disorienting, I imagine. So what is kind of like the perfect level of noise? Well, I don't know if I could, I could define, if I could define a perfect level, but yeah, you walk down a busy street, there's traffic in front of you, traffic next to you, and people are blowing their horn. You know, you hear cars moving, but you can't tell where they are. Too much, too much information is just as bad as not enough mm-hmm. because it's confusing. It's going to sing at some church, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy brought me up to the front of the church and said to wait here for the organist or quarter or whatever it was. So I, I felt so I sat down. When they came, the person came, they said, well, you come, here, what I was doing, I was sitting in the front of the church on the altar rail, and I thought I was in a chair facing the congregation. I must have looked like a monkey on a, a, monkey on a tree, just sitting up there facing, the, how, how embarrassing that was one, once I found out when I was sitting on the altar rail, not a, not a seat, facing the, facing the congregation. Of course, it was before church because the church wasn't full, but there's still a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was humiliating. But I finally, you know, I, I got up and went, well, it was humiliating, but it was, it was also thankful that I finally figured it out because I would I, otherwise I wouldn't have known where I was or how to go from point A to point B. Stick my legs out, and uh, I thought it was the seats in front of me, but it was really the rail. So there weren't any seats in front of me. Mm-hmm. I thought there was. You have to learn to accept the embarrassment, but don't. But you don't have to learn to like it. You know, mm-hmm. it, is, it can be very embarrassing. Uh, I think to the point. Or a blind person, I can only talk about blind. You really, really, really want to do something to do it, because you're going to you're going to run on all this other crap. Is it, is it worth it? You know, is it worth the effort? Is it going to be worth the embarrassment? Is it going to be worth the confusion to do what I want to 
do. Or there's an awful uh, tendency to sit and ask people to do something for you. I'm sure I wear Sandy out. Like, get me this or get, ask if you give me this or get me that. I can get up and get it. Sometimes, bless her heart, she'll get it for me most of the time. But should I be should I be bothering her that much? It's not, you know. Uh, in fact, the uh, Pittsburgh Guild, they had uh, they had family they had a family weekend where you you could invite people with significant other people in your life to come and spend two days talking to the staff. We were the clients were not a part of it. We're off doing something else, but the 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 uh, staff and, and relatives and friends of the people were there trying to learn what was going on because a lot of it was, the blindness was very new to them. They didn't know what to do, how to do, when they ask and what not to ask, or how they ask, or do you push it or you insist on it? And how, how, you know, how do you go about doing all this stuff? And uh, there's so many variables, it's hard to say, but you'll learn after a while that, you know, you've got, a lot of things that are going on, and for sighted people, you're gonna be you can be a pain in the butt if you ask too much. It's awful. It's a lot easier to sit on a chair and say, "Sandy, get this for me," or "Get will you get me this, please?" Rather than going to do it myself. Do you think and, that's a an issue that both um, blind people and maybe sighted people do for maybe enabling it? Do you think there's a point where you know maybe someone with sight almost thinks like, oh, if they can't see, they can't, uh, they can't do a lot of things that they actually could. Do you think there's a, a point where maybe someone with sight should, you know, I don't kind of tough well, love for lack of a better word. It probably goes both ways, Nate. I mean, mm -hmm. There's probably things I, there's not, a, there's no right or wrong answer. There are some things like if Sandy's in a room and I'm getting dressed, okay, I'll ask her to help me. She's there. Because it'll take me about, take me about two, maybe 30 seconds for my shoes, shoes and socks. Or if I do it on my own, it might take me five minutes. You know, and I got to fiddle around. And I, I guess you get tired of uh, doing simple things, making, making major projects out of simple things. Mm -hmm. Like put on shoes and socks. Uh, another thing I often do, and I make my may when I do it, I get my socks and my shoes together and my socks. I put on one pair of socks and shoes, and I can't find out where I, what I did with the other pair. I don't know if I put it on the bed behind me, on the floor in front of me. And I gotta, so I guess it, I, I, get, I get worn out thinking because I gotta be always aware, always aware about what I'm doing, what I'm gonna do next, where I'm putting this, where I'm gonna have to go back and find it. Sometimes I do it right, sometimes I don't do it right. But it, 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 it's exhausting to always have to be thinking, 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 and always to being aware. You can't take anything for granted, you know. Now you try to develop routines, and sometimes that works. Like I always try to put my, I always try to put my shoes in the same place. Well, ninety percent of the time I do. One, ten percent of the time I don't do it. Uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, why can't I find my shoes? I, I had it right here yesterday. Well, I might have moved it to somewhere else. 
So if I, if I don't stay consistent with my patterns, I can, that can be very confusing too. <clears throat> but where's me on, I think, uh, saying, well, what, it's, it's this constant thinking and figuring out that that's fatiguing. I can't just, there are very little things I can do what I call routinely. It's always, I have to be thinking, where am I gonna put this? How am I gonna find it and pick it back up? It's, it's, it's not, there's no, there not much routine in my routine in my life. It's always planning, thinking, and functioning. Uh, but I, I haven't found any way to do it, but to, but to bite, the beat, bite the bullet and do it. You know? But it takes a lot of energy and time. I guess uh, kind of to segue in a little bit of a different question. Um, are you, I guess, you know, obviously there's a lot of challenges and things that come with being blind. So are do you get offended if someone makes like a joke about being blind? So I don't know, like, for example, a blind man walks into a bar and then a table and then a chair. Uh-huh. I guess it's do joke, like do jokes, maybe uh, making fun of someone for being blind or for having those struggles, like the one I mentioned earlier. Would that bother you or offend you, or is that just you know just a joke that doesn't bother no, you? No, I, I do blind jokes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my my favorite one about the blind the blind drunk. Your grandma likes the one the uh, blind guy is walking down the street with his dog, and bang, the dog walks him right into a pole. And of course, the guy gets shook up with. And we, there's a policeman there on the corner watching this. The blind guy reaches in his pocket and gets out a treat and starts to hand it down to the dog. And the policeman says, I saw what he did. Why are you giving that dog a treat? The blind guy says, I want to make sure I kick the right end. Nice. I, I actually, I, I think one of the first, the first joke I can remember, like one of the first jokes I can remember someone telling me is when you told me, and this was back when I was living in Texas, so. I was anywhere from like four to, to seven and it was about the man who goes to the pet store and gets a centipede that can like do all these amazing things. So he tells the centipede to wash the windows and the centipede goes out there and he washes the windows super fast. He's like back in a flash. Then he tells him to wipe down the floors. He wipes the floors and he's having him do all these things. And then finally he says, you oh, know yeah. what? We're out of milk. Can you go to the milk store and give us milk? And the centipede's gone for forever. And so, you know, he's like, Centipede's yeah. normally so fast, and he goes back in because he's having to tie all his hundred different shoes. So, it's taking you so long. I'm putting on my shoes. Uh-huh. That's the answer, right? Yep. What's taking you so long? I'm putting I'm putting on my shoes. I remember that one now. Yeah, you know, I say those don't, those jokes don't bother me for some reason. I'm, I'm, I'm lady that lived at a retirement facility that we visited often and um she wanted more people to wait on her she wasn't as independent as elmer and when we would go down there my sister would compare the two and Elmer was able to, you know, worked hard to learn how to get around her facility because it was new to him. And how could he get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. Um, but this lady would come to the diner and eat in the evening and she'd stand in the doorway until somebody helped her or she would just uh, go someplace and stand and expected people to help her. So my sister would speak 
very negative about her because uh, she wasn't as capable as Elmer. And that offended Elmer because he didn't know what her capabilities were, was to lump all blind people together, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, everyone's yeah. situation is different, and, right? You don't know right. how that, easy or hard it is for someone to do something. No, how long she's been blind, you know. Yeah. New experience is a lot different than living with it for five years is a lot different than living with it for five weeks, mm-hmm. you know. So that that's an example where I I can say you know he was offended by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would ne- never make judgment to anybody what they what they can or they can't do because it all depends on their personality and their life experience. Kind of just yeah. to assume the the best case scenario, right? Like yeah, right. Other things that. Um, he could share along the way is that uh, he flew a lot uh, by himself mm-hmm. and some of the experiences he had flying like when you went to Minneapolis when they dumped you oh yeah I changed planes so somebody got me off the plane and uh, took me to a place and said well, wait here. I had to go to another gate. I said, wait here. We'll come back and get you. Well, I waited and waited. And I noticed at the time my flight was like getting to be within 20, 15 to 20 minutes of leaving. I'm still sitting here. They forgot me. You know, uh, I think what I do then, I start paying a lot of attention to the environment and see if I can pick up on, on, on somebody who might be an employee there or a, has some position in the in the facility, and or ask somebody nearby, is there anybody here who can help me? I think that's what I did. Sometimes, sometimes you have to ask for help. I mean, what's what's the lesser, what's the lesser of two evils to be embarrassed to pieces, just standing there, or ask for help? You have to humble yourself to ask for help, mm-hmm. or embarrass yourself by just standing there. Those are tough decisions to make. There's no right answer. Sometimes, sometimes it's not worth the trouble. You know, I don't want to be embarrassed. I'll, I'll, I'll suffer my, I'll suffer the consequences if I have to. I'll just stumble around as this is bad. You, your grandma reminds me of this stuff. I mean, you make a bigger fool out of yourself if you, you try to function. You can't. And you know how to do it. You're bumping into people. You're bumping into chairs. Bumping into other people. You know. Uh, you gotta be careful with women. Sometimes they think you're you're getting fresh with them. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, why are you why are you pumping into me? Uh, uh, that doesn't happen very often, but you get that message. You know, get away from me. And your mom, your grandma reminds me of great things. Like, I don't look like I'm blind, which is good. To a point. When you don't look like you're blind and you need help and people don't know what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. then it's not good. By and large, by and large, you want to be you want to be inconspicuous, you know, and not stand out. But that cut that cuts two ways. Uh, to do that, sometimes you have to pay the price. So you have to decide. It's not a clear cut thing. When do I ask for help? Well, when I got to be like in fifteen or twenty minutes of my flight, I know. Uh, I knew I had to do something or miss the plane. 
And sometimes the situation dictates what you have to do. You have to bite the bullet and do it. Uh, I think there was somebody sitting next to me and I asked them if they could help me a minute and find a, uh, an assistant, you know, somebody over the airline to help me. And they said, oh, sure. And uh, somebody came and helped me, but, but I didn't ask for assistance for a long time. And I know they're going to forget me. What am I going to do? Yeah. I have to walk around, make around, walk around, make a fool out of myself. That's what I'm going to have to do. That's how, that's what it feels like. Oh yeah, I've never had anybody be offended by it. Uh, maybe I think they're, they're looking at me and wondering what they can do. I don't know. I think it is something that people can, in a sense, relate to because I think you know we all you know no one wants to be you know an inconvenience or a bother to anyone, and it can you know sometimes there is a little bit of I don't know like for me for example pride when it comes to doing something and not wanting to admit that I need help and I can only imagine how much more difficult that might be for uh, for someone who's blind because they might be needing help with tasks that to a lot of people might seem like you shouldn't need help with so I can definitely yeah, see no. why that's a that's a struggle and something that. People well, should really help. think about. Yeah. The need for help comes up a lot more frequently than if you can see. Mm-hmm. You know, like in that incident at the airport, I never, I would never have had to ask anybody. I would have just gone to the next gate and gone on a plane and gone my way. But I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had, had to intervene for myself. And sometimes that's awkward because you don't know if you're interrupting somebody's conversation what they're doing uh, it's just it's just very difficult to do it I, I guess it's embarrassing but it's, it's awkward it's assuming it's uh it's prevailing on somebody who doesn't need it uh, and I, I never had any bad experience in asking but <laughs> I still hesitate to do it uh, I mean, in Pittsburgh that was one of the things they drilled into you know you only ask for help when it's absolutely necessary or when you feel you're in danger. Otherwise, do it yourself or you'll never learn. It's a, it's a school of hard knocks. Uh, it's a very, very embarrassing situation. Yeah. Take, take out on mobility. First time the guy said, well, you're at this street and that street now. I'm going to let you here go by yourself. Well, I ended up on the front porch of some lady's house, you know, and she didn't know what I was doing. And I guess she saw my can eventually and figured it out, but that was terribly embarrassing. How I ended up on that woman's porch to this day, I don't know. But yeah. the, I knew them. One of the things you know, you have to trust your mobility instructor. You know they're not leaving you alone until you're going to get killed. So that gives you some confidence. But it's still embarrassing. They wait, wait to the absolute last second before they help you. Uh, mm-hmm. God was walking down the street one time. I was sailing along pretty good, and the guy, my instructor, grabbed my shoulder and stopped me right now. and said, "You're ready to walk out in the street." I said, "What do you mean? There's no curb here." Yeah, that's right. There's no curb here. This this street that this sidewalk doesn't have a curb here. So I kept walking. I would walk right out in the street. You know that, that kind of stuff that. These little things that happen, maybe not all the time, but they happen enough that you think about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when I fell around with my cane, yeah, there was a difference in the sidewalk and the street, but I never noticed it. Uh, tech cane technique is a big thing. How to use your cane. Uh, 
if you're tapping, you're pretty much tap, tap, tap. You're walking along, trying not to walk. You know, you basically know where you are, where you where you have to go, and how to get there. You're just trying not to try not to uh, bump uh, bump into anything along the way. Or if you're tapping around and you're, and you're, and you're swinging your cane back and forth, I'm trying to look out where you are. That's more. That's more than or. That's more than orientation. That's more than mobility. That's orientation. That's trying to find out where am I how to get from, where, where am I, where can I get from my point A to point B. You use your cane a lot differently. You make a big sweeping move motion. But if you make the two big, you hit people on their leg. They don't like that either. So there's a lot of little things that go on that after you have these experiences, you have to kind of slough them off because if you don't, you'll never go anywhere. You know, it'll happen every time you go out. How how long does a does a cane typically last before you might need to replace it? Because I imagine you know they can take oh, quite a several beating. years. You can re, you can re replace the tip. The tips are removable. Mm. If I didn't if I didn't bang up the cane if I didn't mistreat my canes they would last for years. <laughs> I have a case of being I have a way uh, of being wearing pretty rough on my canes because I I swing them pretty hard. Uh, canes are all bent, but they're straight enough that I can still use them. Yeah. Well, good news is if someone ever messes with you, you can beat them with your cane. So yeah. you got plenty of practice. Yeah, I have a lot of practice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to cut it short there for now. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please leave us a review and give us a like. It really helps us out. And if there's anything you'd like us to talk about in the future, please don't hesitate to let us know in the comments. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you in the next one. Bye-bye.